to the open side. Karim Bete. Hufflegal here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Ando, back from my overseas adventures. And Mitch, you have kept things stable for the last couple of weeks. So thank you. How are you? Very good. Very good. Uh, Not a lot of exciting rugby in terms of Wallabies to talk about this week, but we do have some good results from the other Australian teams, the Wallaroos and the uh, under-20s. So a lot to talk through this evening. Glad to have you back. Um, how was your trip to <laughs> the United States? Yeah, mate, it was awesome. Um, I took a bunch of students over for a leadership conference or program thing. And uh, what a sightseeing, what of opportunity to learn from some pretty capable people over there. Um, America's weird though, man. America's really <laughs> weird. Like you get some people that are just incredibly polite and then you just get others that are just some of the rudest people I've ever met. It was really <laughs> Um, and the food. The most important question is, yeah. The most important question is, did the MLR final was on while you were over there? Were you able to watch it in some capacity somewhere? Nah, nah sorry, mate. No, could do. I was on a clock the whole time, so wasn't oh, able, dang. wasn't able to. Um, but we definitely did manage to take in a whole bunch of the different fast food options over there, and I've got to say, um, Smash Burgers was the best that I had uh crapped all okay. chip chick-fil-a so people that are rating chick-fil-a are just wrong um it wasn't that right good, good to anyway, know anyway that's good that's, that's my quality insight <laughs> into america right there so tonight we are as everybody would be expecting going to be talking through the spring box versus the wallabies uh this podcast is a little bit later because um me coming back into the country Lockie is busy with some ra stuff as well with his job so this was the earliest we could do to talk about the springboks versus the wallabies we're then going to dive into the wallaroos versus usa briefly mention the under 20s versus new zealand before we jump into the locker room so as always we have two simple calls to action Join our Discord channel to be a part of the best Australian rugby community going around. And the link is on any of our social media profiles. And lastly, please consider going to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby and supporting us with a one-off or a monthly payment. My friend, our intro is done. Why don't we get into the Springboks and the Wallabies? Let's go. Let's get into some rugby talk. Let's rip the Band-Aid off. Let's just get into Mm -hmm. it. The first test match for the Wallabies in 2023, the start of the Eddie Jones era, uh, did not go to plan, unfortunately. 43 to 12 was the final score. Now, Ando, you weren't with us the last few weeks. As we said in the intro, you have been over in America leading your boys around over there. What was your thoughts going into this game? What were you expecting? How close did you think the final score was going to be? Yeah, look, there's there's always optimism at the start of any new thing. Um, sometimes there's a thing called the dead cat bounce, which I've heard before, which is where a team's <laughs> been really performing poorly and then they get a new coach or a new situation. And everyone's like, oh, they're going to be amazing. Um, but the reality is often they've just been playing so bad, it's inevitable that they get a good performance. Unfortunately, we didn't get that in this game. Um, 
Um, we were going to a hard location to win in. Don't think the Wallabies had ever won against South Africa um, at that ground. And I was just concerned that we were coming up against a really, really good Bok team, which, I mean, undoubtedly they are, and that we didn't have enough firepower to match the physicality. And unfortunately, it turned out that that was correct and we just got beaten up left, right and centre. Now, Lockie and I last week in our preview for this game were optimistic. We were hopeful that the Wallabies were going to able to match that physicality, take a new game plan, play rugby smarts against the Springboks and ultimately come away with the victory. This isn't what ended up happening, unfortunately. I think if we run through some of the stats for this game, the Springboks bested us in every facet. Now, this wasn't just... Uh, an opportunity of a team taking the points when they're on offer and applying scoreboard pressure, although that is uh, an element to the victory here to the Springboks. But the physicality, they just forced the Wallabies into mistake after mistake after mistake, and they never really looked like getting any ascendancy back into the game after they scored in that first five minutes. If we look at the overall game from the Wallabies, is there any highlights for you to to talk about is there anything any brief glimmer of hope moving forward look the, the brief glimmer of hope would probably be the first 20 or so minutes of the game um the first 20 or so minutes weren't particularly bad i think from the wallabies uh we played with a lot of pace and a lot of tempo to the game and the corambete try was excellent it was a turnover off a line out i believe um and then there were some excellent passes wide to skip a couple of aussie players got on the outside of the south african rush defense and then to unleash marika out wide and i think everybody who was directly involved in that play, did their role perfectly. So I was really, really happy with that try. And I thought it was just an excellent um, demonstration of the innate capacity of the Wallabies when they get an opportunity to do it well. But unfortunately, that was almost like the first and the last time that they executed uh, what's wrong, efficiently on the opportunities that they had. So it's, it's like they just use it all up in that one moment and then the rest of the game, we're just so error-strewn, making bad, not necessarily making bad choices, but just executing things poorly, kicking the ball out on the full multiple times within the game, one of them off a goal line clearance. Yeah, uh, it's really, really hard to nail down a specific area where they went wrong. If we look at some of the stats, so in attack, we've got eight tries to two. 694 metres made from the Springboks, 369 to the Wallabies. Uh, I don't have the possession stats there, but the possession was... uh, Let me find that. Do you have it on the top of your head there, (laughs) Endo? No, because the website I'm looking at doesn't have possessions, unfortunately. Dang it. Uh, From memory, the possession stats are something like 75 to 23 or uh, to 25 like the possession, the amount of possession that the Springboks had and the amount of possession the Wallabies had really tells a lot around this game. That coming into it, Eddie Jones definitely had a game plan of and implementing a new game plan for the Wallabies that we haven't seen in the past of kicking the ball, trying to keep the opposition in their 22 and capitalizing on the opportunities that you create from doing that. Unfortunately, the execution of that game plan left a lot to be desired. As you mentioned before, kicked a lot of ball out on the full, uh, weren't able to really take the right opportunity or put when they did get into the 22, 
they weren't able to execute and they either dropped it or they turned it over um, at the breakdown. Yeah, look, that, that kicking element to the game, it's so obvious, right? Almost every single time the Wallabies had the ball um, in their own half, they're kicking it away. Now, I can understand that um, in the modern game playing... In your own half with the ball is basically not the way that you win test rugby. But what teams do, what good teams do when they're kicking that much are these things. Number one, they try to find grass. And Willie LaRue at 15 for the Bockies was incredible in his kicking game at being able to find grass, which meant the box had more time to... Uh, have a have a connected defensive line as are coming up the field and apply pressure. Um, the second part is they are kicking to um, make sure the ball is contestable, and that's either contestable in the air or sacking the player as soon as they come to the ground and trying to get a turnover that way. And the Wallabies just were really, really poor with a kick chase. There was some fantastic uh, research I saw on Twitter from um, one of the I guess one of the pundits who was following the game, who basically counted every single Wallabies kick within the first half and identified one of them being effective or one or two of them being effective in terms of the chase. So when when you're not finding grass and you're not having contestable or effective kick chases, then you're not going to be doing well when that is the centerpiece of your game plan, which it was. And that's uh, that's one of the things that was disappointing from a Wallabies perspective was, as you said, the... the the game plan was clearly let's pin them in their half. When we get the ball in our half, we'll kick it away. But there was just no clear chase. There, Marika Korobetti three or four times was the only one that was chasing the ball. From memory, there was one encounter, and I think that was the one you were just touching on there, where they kicked it and Marika Korobetti put a fair bit of pressure on, I think it was Moody who went up um, to get the ball and he ended up turning it over. Nick White regathered. There was an opportunity at that point for him to spread it wide and they potentially had a, a one-on-two overlap or two-on-one overlap and they didn't do that. He ended up, I think, we got advantage from the the knock-on and he ended up kicking it again himself and it got um, grounded in goal by the Springboks, which ended up losing that possession, which was frustrating. It wasn't just the kicking game that wasn't firing for the Wallabies as well. Their set piece really struggled. Um what, what do you think that, what would you put the set piece issues down to? Look, a big part of it came down to um, Tom Hooper's injury in about the 20th minute of the game, I think it was. He he got taken out pretty early and that really made our line out struggle, particularly when you have uh, Michael Hooper and uh, Hooper, Valentini and... Um, Samu. Um, um, yeah, Samu Big as Samu. the back three. Um, but also when, oh my God, I'm having an absolute mental blank um, on our locking combination. It was Frost and Skelton. When you've got Skelton as well, oh, yeah. who's a non-jumping um, lock, who are, who, are your lock, who are your jumpers? You've got Frost and you've got Samu as a part-timer. And that's, that's, that's basically it. <laughs> and so our line out in the second half particularly struggled, but then our scrum was just getting absolutely dominated as as the game wore on and we're not we weren't i guess too surprised by that when you're bringing gibbon and nongor off the bench as as your yep. reserve props um you're not going to be doing particularly well up against the south africans so 
look, our set piece just struggled. I think part of it is personnel. I think part of it was just attitude across the park as well. We didn't seem to be mentally in the right headspace. And once they put on a couple of early tries, um, the boys just didn't seem like they were in a place to be able to fight and call that back. There's a lot to be said of that. And uh, look, Pretoria is not one of the easiest places to go in world rugby and, and play a test match, particularly one when you haven't played South Africa or any form of South Africa in a year. Like when we used to have them in Super Rugby, we were at least playing them two or three, four, five, six times a year. So the players were used to traveling, were used to playing in, at altitude and were used to the game plan and the style that the Springboks would bring. We haven't played them since the Rugby Championship last year, so we're not used to that. We've got a number of players, and it was heavily reported in the media this week, we have a number of players in this team that have never travelled to South Africa before, let alone played mm. the Springboks. They've never even flown to South Africa. So there's a whole bunch of new experiences there for players. How do you prep? How do you adjust to the climate? How do you adjust to the altitude? How do you get your, you know, how do you get through that first 20 minutes and not die on the field? which we definitely saw was an element of this game because after that 20 minutes, like you said, they started well, but they really were 25, 30 minutes around that mark. A lot of the players looked gassed. Uh, one thing we also have to say, speaking about Pretoria, and it's it, it, we need to mention it because I think the Springboks have something like an 80% win rate there against any nation in the world. They've only lost a handful of games ever. Pretoria. So not only is this a difficult yep. place to go and play for the Wallabies, but every team in in the world in world rugby struggles in Pretoria. Yep. Um, yeah. Back to the game itself, discipline. We've got it up on the screen, 13 penalties to three. Now, under the Dave Rennie era for the Wallabies, it was something that we spoke about a lot, that the, the Wallabies were giving away too many penalties. They just weren't able to compete in games because they were just consistently getting on the wrong side of the referee. 13 to 3, and even those three penalties that South Africa got, one or two of those you could probably argue were a little difficult or harsh on the Springboks. You could you could say that the penalty count could have been 13 to 1. Would you say that this was a particularly ill-disciplined game by the Wallabies? Or do you think that they yeah. were put into this circumstance by the pressure the Springboks put on them? Yeah, look, it's our second part through and through. Um, it's just completely obvious that the Wallabies were uh, on the back foot for large portions of the game. And when you look at the tackle stats, the carry stats, the ruck stats, all of it is pointing to South African forward dominance. And when you're not able to stop those strong Bockies runners, then your team is going to be backpedaling. You're going to get caught offside at different parts within the field and you're going to give away penalties. Um, so with all that in mind, I actually don't think this was an ill-disciplined performance in really any way, shape or form. The ill-discipline came from the inability to soak up or apply their own pressure on the South Africans. So look, mate, we've been, um, I, I think we need to just release the shackles a little bit because you and I are both being very, very, um, What's the right word? We're being calm and considered and trying to be pretty rational about this. Now, I'm not saying we need to crap all over everybody, but God, this was a frustrating match and a frustrating performance. So I just want to give give us permission to have a bit of a whinge about a couple of things. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm going to kick things off and say, 
I have zero idea what Sui Vunavalu is doing in the Wallabies gold. And I don't blame him for the loss. The forwards um, were pretty beaten up, so you can't expect a winner winger to win this game. But I don't see why he's in the Wallabies gold, and I don't see what Eddie Jones sees in him. It was a situation for Sully, unfortunately, where the harder he tried to turn the tide, the worse things were going for him. I can't count any positives that he brought to the game. I think he made one dominant carry in the whole game. And I think it of the penalties that we conceded, a yellow card and a penalty try was directly his fault for that bat down. And yep. he gave away at least three or four other penalties as well within that. So it got to a point where any involvement that he had in the game was negative. And if they weren't scoring through his channel, they were scoring points through the penalties that he was giving away. Mate, how bloody disappointing is it though when you have these moments of um, hope? We, I spoke earlier in the pod about how like beginning of a new era, you have this like excitement and hope for what things bring, and then and then we come down to a crushing thirty point plus defeat, and you just go, it's the same bloody thing again, isn't it? it it's we we have this hope and then we get disappointed, and I guess one of the things that's um, was playing around in my mind is. If, if I was in a position to be making changes to personnel, to the team lineup or anything like that, would you actually make any changes? Because I've seen some other people throw the baby out with the bathwater and just demand wholesale changes. And I'm like, that's going to do bloody nothing. You're just, you're just being ridiculous um, in your Let's pause that for a moment. We might get to that as we wrap this game yeah, up okay. and talk about what happens okay. for Sydney just before we get ahead to it. Uh, but one thing I wanted to say is around this game and the frustration I had was the Gitto law. Now we've spoken about mm. this in the past around what, what did it start out as two, three players. It got expanded to five or six. These players that aren't playing in Australian rugby, but are allowed to aren't playing rugby in Australia, but are allowed to come and play for the Wallabies. The expectation is if you're playing overseas and you're being given the exemption to come in, that you need to be hitting the ground firing. And I don't think we saw that this week. We've heard about apart it. From in, apart from Marika. Uh, yeah, uh, apart from Marika, I guess. But I, uh, that has its own little asterisk, I guess, that Marika, like Michael Hooper in a lot of regards, a bad game for Marika is far and above anyone else on the field. So <laughs> Marika tried his absolute hardest, but I still don't think that he, even he couldn't turn the tide of what this performance was for the Wallabies. But I was disappointed with Will Skelton. I was disappointed with Quade mm. Cooper. Now, yep. Whether that comes down to individual effort or individual impact on the game or the game plan and the style of play that the, the team wanted to bring, we focused on Skelton to start with. I was expecting Skelton to come in and have immediate impact in terms of dominant carries with, with the ball in hand. And I know we've spoken around how the Wallabies forward pack got absolutely beaten up by the Springboks that they're big blokes, that they're putting in massive hits, but I didn't I didn't see half the amount of dominant ball carries as I was expecting from Skelton. What did you think around his involvement? Mate, he had four carries for three metres. So I think that says a lot right there. But in terms of um, forward involvement, like he and he, he's kind of up there as one of the most involved forwards in runs and the like. And that just shows that, any comment that we make, and I get the criticism of Skelton here, I'm not saying that criticism is wrong, but any comment that we make is from a very um, kind of 
a unique situation in terms of just being utterly dominated by the forwards. And so we mm. expect dominant carries from him. We expect dominant tackles and wrapping up the player and the like. The South Africans just ran over the top of us and we really can't hide that. Um, the yep. player who I thought was particularly poor was probably Quaid because a bunch of the areas mm-hmm. that he made were not um, in that ba- based upon that dominance that they were experiencing or being being dominated. So kicking out on a full off a goal line clearance, I'm dropping off a whole bunch of tackles, uh, which which he did throughout the game. Um, admittedly, he threw himself in there, but he wasn't able to complete the tackles and, and fell off a few of them. Um, he didn't have a game to remember. And if I didn't really understand why he wasn't kicking sticks either. If, why Reese Hodge, who's one of the least accurate kickers in Super Rugby, despite having a big boot, was taking it is beyond me. Unless you're wanting to get him warmed up and kind of used to taking the kicks, so he can land a clutch 65 meter kick or something like that late in a game to win it. But we left in the first half eight points out on the field, two missed penalties and a conversion, which would have taken it to 17-12, I think, going into the half or something along those lines. Um, And so it was just really, I wanted more from Quaid and he doesn't seem like he's fully fit. So that was was disappointing. There's two points that you raised there and I'll touch on Quaid first and then I'll I'll move on to the kicking point. Uh, So with Quaid, what we've come to know from him in the past, maybe not so much recently because we haven't seen him consistently at test level for the Wallabies, but he's definitely a player um, of momentum. And I think he's the type of player that needs to get his hands on the ball a lot and work his way into games. And the game plan that uh, Eddie Jones brought this week didn't allow that. There, In the first half, in the first 15, 20, 25 minutes, there was at least three or four opportunities where Reese Hodge shifted into the first play uh, into the um, first receiver and kicked the ball away, whether that was because we were in our own half or within just over halfway. Quade Cooper didn't have the opportunity to get the ball in hand and run it like we've come to expect him in the past, and I think that comes down to well, that, it's a game plan. But I think if he had been allowed to roam with ball in hand a little bit more, he would have warmed into the game and he would have got a bit more confident. Uh, so I think that was the game plan there. And that's where I kind of sit on the fence where I was like, yeah, we're moving forward. Do we need to give Quaid more opportunity to roam with the ball and not kick it away as much and not focus so much on that kicking domination? Um, or do we look at someone like Carter Gordon, who when he came on, even though we still played that game plan of kicking the ball when it was on offer, he played heads up rugby. He did that little chip through to Marika Corabetti, followed through, got the yep. the pass away, and then scored that try. So he made opportunities from nothing as well. The other point that Mate, I that you mentioned, I'll just jump in there. I'll just jump in there okay. before you go to the second yep. point. Um, really easily, you just got to kick better. And so if we're going to play that kicking game, we know that kicking in international matches is fine. That's not a problem. We saw that in Super Rugby where the teams that kick the most generally, like the Chiefs, one of the highest kicking teams within the competition and they were the leaders throughout the whole thing. We just need to kick better as we were talking about. So yep. back to your second point. Second point was the decision-making and you you were talking mm-hmm. about kicks and why Reese Hodge was taking the kicks, but it came down to the decision-making. On halftime, we got a penalty yeah, right yep. on halftime, yep. 55 metres out. More than Reece that, Hodge mate. Like 65, three or four. 65. It was, it was ridiculously far out. And I know it's altitude yep. and I know Reese Hodge can boot it. And to his credit, it just fell short. 
But why are we going for sticks in that situation? We're down by 12 points or whatever the, the margin was. Why not kick to the corner, get a more, set up some dominance in that area. And then if you can get a penalty from the ensuing line out, we still had our forward pack, our starting forward pack on at that point, uh, other than Tom Hooper. You can then take a shot when you're within within striking range or you score a try and you 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 small like you reduce that gap we've seen this so often from the wallabies the poor decision making and you can't necessarily you can't say this week that it's all michael hooper because james slipper was this the the captain and, and the person calling for that kick was quade cooper he immediately ran over and was pointing at the sticks demanding that they take the shot so that was yeah look there's, there's so much it's head stretching. Yeah, I'd, it's frustrating. You expect better and you want better. And I've just got to hope they can turn it around for this performance against Argentina. That's a great little segue. So next week, Saturday night, this week, the Wallabies take on Michael Checker's Los Pumos in Parramatta in Sydney. If you were Eddie Jones right now, Endo, what would you be doing? Would you be ringing the changes or would you be staying with the cohesion theory and trying to get as many minutes into these combinations as possible? Mate, you've, you've got to get minutes into the com- into the combinations because you don't have enough time to be ringing changes at this point. So obviously we're going to have Tom Hooper replaced because of the concussion that he experienced or the injury. It was that a he shoulder had. injury. Sorry, shoulder. It was shoulder. a shoulder injury. Um, yeah. That he took, so he'll, he'll be replaced. Um, but I think by and large, you keep the majority of the players the same. Get Reese Hodge the heck out of there. Um, Marika, Kore- sorry, not Marika, uh, Samu Karevi into 12, Sully Vunavalu out of 14, um, and bring in Andrew Kellaway. And I think you've got a, a pretty Kellaway. solid 15 there. Yep. Bring in Kellaway for, um, for Vunavalu and just make sure that you don't, make too many changes considering there's so few games remaining before the world cup we need our players to be confident we need them to get onto a roll of wins and that's going to be hard with some of the teams that we're playing so if they're not going to have the confidence in the wins they at least need to have the confidence with the people inside and outside and know how they're going to be playing in different situations and in different moments of the game so don't ring the changes and anybody that's saying got to chuck them all out is just being over dramatic one player that has raised questions is Michael Hooper. This week, mm. he was largely ineffective against a pretty dominant and big South Africa pack. Argentina probably uh, is similar in size to that Springbok pack as opposed to the pack that we have in Australia. He was the only one of the back three that was making impact at the breakdown, and he had a few pilfers, and he was... Um, having an effect, maybe not as much of an effect as we would like, you can't have both an out-and-out seven on starting and on the bench with Fraser McWright. Do you think this is the week that we see Fraser McWright get a start under Eddie Jones? Yeah, look, maybe. Maybe just to give Hooper a week off with the significant travel and then um, bring him back in for the All Blacks. Uh, and, and you clearly say that this is a rotation. Um, and that he's not being dropped and make that, make that public. I think that that could be something to do because I agree. I don't think Hooper was at his best against the Bockies, but like nobody was. <laughs> so um, I, I think it's a bit harsh when people are just 
pointing towards Michael Hooper and saying that he's he's over the hill, he's done, replace him with Fraser McRae. And I'm like, uh, base it off a few performances in the year rather than just this one. Um, but that being said, McWright's super rugby form is excellent. So it, I, I can really understand if a change is made there. Carter Gordon over Reece, uh, over Quade Cooper. Do you make no. that change? No, definitely this not. Week? Keep Quade Play in. him off the bench again? No. Yep. Yep. Play him off the bench. Give him more time coming in off the bench. That's totally fine. But Quade Cooper starts without a shadow of a doubt. He's going to be the one starting at 10 for all the important games coming into the World Cup. Tate McDermott or Ryan Lonigan? <laughs> uh, for starting? <laughs> no, um, off the bench. Nick White off starts. the bench. Uh, look, I think I like I like McDermott off the bench. I do. I think he's probably that good point of difference to Nick White. Um, but if we're looking, yeah, it's interesting because I like them both. I really, really do. Um, part of me wants to see what Lonergan can do at the international level. So I'm going to say Lonergan just because of my love affair and my curiosity. Well, the talk is, and you'll be happy, the talk is that Lonergan is in oh, line yes, yeah. to be to wear that 21 jersey. Uh, Good. If not, start. So we shall see what happens if there. If not, against start. The wow. Pumas. Yeah, that's what I have heard. He's He could potentially start against the Pumas this week. So um, yeah. one final point we want to... To touch on if you are watching on YouTube, you can see that we've got the action areas up on the field on the screen um, in front of you. One area that is just abysmal, really, for the Wallabies this week was their time in the opposition 22. 3.4% of the overall um, possession that the Wallabies had. I think it comes down to 45 or 47 seconds that the Wallabies entered the Springbok 22, and two of those were scoring opportunities from Marika Korobetti and Carter Gordon, who were breakaway tries. That's just not enough. It's definitely an area to focus on this week. Uh, do you think that the game plan can be can be fixed in a week to um, account for a lost Pumos team that's going to come licking their lips and Michael Check is definitely going to have them up and ready to cause another upset in Sydney? Yeah, look, it's going to be hard because when you consider the travel, they've got basically a full day of travel and then recovery from that, getting back from Pretoria. Uh, so they're probably going to have, if they travelled out on Sunday... They arrived on Monday. Have, yeah, they maybe were, two yeah. or three training sessions. Only one of those will actually be contact, most likely. Um, so it's going to be pretty difficult for them to make any wholesale changes, which is why I also think they're not going to change this, the starting 20 or the 23 significantly so it wouldn't surprise me if the game plan is fairly similar in terms of not playing the ball in your own half um trying to pin the rg's back within their 50 so i think it'll just be refining that improving the kick chase improving improving the execution and just trying to get the mentality right around the physicality of defense because so much of that's just a mental game and it seemed like the the Wobs just weren't able to front up mentally in what was a punishing encounter. Final question for you before we move into Wallaroos. If the Wallabies lose this week, if the Pumas get up and win, the Rugby Championship's lost. We can't <laughs> regather that. The Rugby World Cup later this year looks to be in a little bit of doubt in terms of our progression deep into the competition. Do you think Eddie Jones then starts looking at his team for 2025? Does he start bringing in players like McWright, like Lonigan, like Carter Gordon, 
and maybe lessening the minutes of Quade Cooper, Michael Hooper, James Slipper? Mm. Probably not because it almost, I don't know. Part of me would understand that and I, I could see some value in it. But at the same time, it's hard to make such wholesale changes of limited evidence. And it would be making a huge change based upon two games. And one game coming up against an excellent South African team. Um, and we don't know what's happened this weekend, obviously. So it'd be pretty mm. risky for that. I don't see it happening because uh, Eddie Jones is very much focused on this World Cup and doing the best that he can, as all international coaches should be, to try and get his team to go deep in that competition or if not, bring it home. I don't think he's going to be looking ahead to the future. He's going to be trying to win the whole damn thing. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It will be interesting to see what happens after this game. So there's a lot on the line here for the Wallabies. Uh, if you are getting out there, I've got my ticket sorted, so I'll be there in my um, my new orange jacket and my pick and drive hat. So if you do see me walking around Parramatta, do come up and say hi. It'd be great to meet you and chat um, to everyone that is out there, and and make sure you do tune in because even though this was a hard game to get through for the Wallabies. And if you did get up at 1am like I did and finish at 3am, you probably were feeling pretty sorry for yourself at the end of the game. This team, the players in it, have the opportunity to play some amazing football and they can do amazing things. This is the first test match under Eddie Jones. I'm sure he's got different plans. He's got uh, different ways and, and of game plans and things. So don't give up on the Wallabies just yet. Do keep <laughs> supporting Not them yet. and they'll do us proud. Not yet. I'm sure. I'm sure and they, I let, I'm sure why don't you take us over, take over and we'll dive into the Wallaroos now. Mate, the Wallaroos uh, continued their Pacific Four campaign with the second match over in Canada versus the USA rugby team and came away with a whopping 58-17 to 17 win. And it was basically the exact opposite of what happened with the Wallabies. The Wallabies got dominated up front and were unable to exert themselves on the game. But this was the exact opposite. The Wallaroos forward pack just beat up and bullied and stole the lunch money of USA Rugby. And full and entire credit to them. They were an excellent, excellent outfit to watch within this game. So... I've watched the whole thing. I've got heaps of notes. Uh, Mitch, I know that you've been able to see this game as well, and there's so much that we could dive into. But, mate, this is a huge turnaround from getting spanked 50 to nil from the previous week. Jay Tregoning must just be so stoked with the performance from the girls. It really is a great performance. They've done Australian rugby proud here. Uh, in At a day when the Wallabies have put in a pretty bad performance against the Springboks, everyone's down in the dumps, the Wallaroos come out and put on 58 points against the USA. When they played them last year, I think they lost by a point or two. It was a tight encounter in the Pacific Four last year. They've come in, they've take, they've gone over to their territory in Canada and they've put in an absolute masterclass on how to play rugby. Uh, when you look at the team sheet for the Wallaroos this week compared to last week, there were a number of changes. The European four players came in and you've got a... You know, you got to take your hat off to them. Laurie Kramer, Bella McKenzie, M. Chancellor, those players played outstanding and the whole team looked so much better for it. They were absolutely excellent. I thought um, I thought particularly that M. Chancellor had a really, really impressive game as well, particularly with the Nalus. Um, Arabella McKenzie, 
I'm I'm still one of those players that thinks that she doesn't always make the choices that I wish she would um, and have her influence on the game the way I think she, she could. But she was imperious of moments within this match. Um, some of the ways in which she got her arms through the tackles and offloaded really, really well were excellent. But in a way, in a way, the game of two halves comes true yet again. So... Of the four tries within the first half to the Wallaroos, three of them were scored directly from Malls with Grace Hamilton, um, Eva Kapani and Adiana Talakai all scoring off Malls. Um, and Kapani got the other try within the match as well off some pretty great phase play. And then in the second half, it was all it was all backs. So it's almost like they coordinated. It was all Maya Stewart. Like yeah, basically just Maya Stewart winning everything. By the way, how good is Ivania Wong in just yeah. a little bit of space? Give her give her the opportunity to run the ball back against the defensive line. And she just creates opportunities with a little shimmy darting in against a weak outside shoulder. Mate, I love her running in space. It's awesome. Yeah, the, there was a few performances by the back three, particularly this week. Wong, uh, Stewart and Kramer all together mm. show showed what the Wallaroos have been missing the last few weeks. Uh, I can see that you're starting to lose this, Ando. You're, you're, the, the, oh, mate. The mate, my eye was literally so we'll twitching. <laughs> I couldn't stop it from twitching before. I'm so tired. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll keep this quick then and we'll sort of wrap this up. But um, what's really exciting for the Wallaroos now is that they have secured their place in the first division of the women's, what is it, World 15? Is that what they're calling it? Um, it's uh, coming up later XV this year. XV is what the commentators were saying. X World XV one. Isn't that women's fifteen? I don't know. Yeah, That's I, I know. I know. But the commentators. I'm not were sure. Saying XV. I don't know. Um, how but... on the commentators? How funny was it listening to the the American and Canadian commentators? Yeah, <laughs> so awesome. yep. I actually good point of really difference. Really liked it. Because they were um they were explaining a lot of the rules and explaining all of the elements of the game because obviously they're expecting a North American slash Canadian audience, and so they they were less familiar. But I really liked it. It was it was something refreshing and it was nice just to um have uh, I don't want to be offensive, but like a more rudimentary or rustic um approach to the game where they're just going through the basics of what's happening on the match. It was great. It almost it makes you feel like world uh, world cups again when you particularly yeah. the 2019 world cup in Japan where they sort of they've got a lot of people watching that aren't necessarily diehard rugby fans so they try and explain things a little bit more that is that was yeah. great to see I guess to summarize and to finish off this is a really dominant performance by the Wallaroos I think so Jay Tregoning has really um, nailed his first 15 if not his 23 yeah. and. We'll, we'll forget last week. We'll say that that didn't happen against <laughs> the Black Ferns, but I'm really excited in a couple of weeks. Obviously, they've got Canada next, and if they can put in another good performance against Canada, that's great yep. preparation for the return leg against the Black Ferns. I'm really excited to see what this team can do because if they play like this against the Black Ferns, we might be getting, it, we might be getting ahead of ourselves, but we might be getting that first victory which is really exciting. He's, he's hoping. In my mind, there's two things I need to do to continue to improve. Um, the first one is a tactical kicking game is essentially non-existent for the Wallaroos. It's something within a women's game which hasn't been done particularly well um, over the last few years, but our tactical kicking either doesn't exist or is executed pretty poorly. So I would love to see that change, except for the try that um, 
McKenzie set up for uh, Maya Stewart as well. I will just say that that was a great kick. But outside of that, there really wasn't any. And then the second point was um, there were so many missed passes within this game from the Wallaroos. So many times where the um, Americans have been trying to put on some um, speedy rush defense and balls from Lane Morgan or Bill McKenzie are kind of going out the back and not going to hand and a bunch of attacks broke down. So if they want to compete against Canada, against the Black Ferns, they need to tidy up those two areas. Being able to place more pressure through tactical kicking and make sure that they're being more accurate in their possession so they can exploit any opportunities that they create or have in front of them. And being in that first division of the World 15 or WXV yep. coming up later this year means that we will be playing New Zealand, England, Canada, I think. Yeah, Canada is the top three. Sure from, who are... Yep, it's a top three. Yeah, so the fact that we're going to be playing these top teams again later in the year is just the more we can play this level, the more we can play these teams, the better that these girls are going to get. So one other thing Definitely. I just wanted to shout out to RA uh, that we need to kind of, RA needs to sort out a, ASAP. The Wallaroos played that game against the Black Ferns on Thursday night in Redcliffe. The next day, they the next morning, they boarded a flight to Canada. The whole team was flying economy. We saw the Wallabies mm. all flew out to South Africa in business class, every single player in business class. And we saw the yep. performance that they put out in South Africa. These girls deserve to be flying business class. It's, n- it's not good enough. We can't keep pushing the girls to the back. If we're going to fly one team business class, we fly all teams business class. It's just not good enough. It's definitely not. And I think um, it's an area that definitely needs to be improved. Hopefully the finances become such uh, that 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 can be a reality because it's not a good look at all. It's also just not fair in the way that it should be. Mm. Um, So hopefully there's a a good meeting up between what we know should be happening and the finances that are available to make sure it does happen. Uh, Completely agreed. So, mate, should we move on to the junior Let's wrap things up because you are getting tired, Endo, and I am conscious of the time. So... I've I've seen bits and pieces of this game. So the Junior Wallabies are over in the in South Africa for the Under Twenties World Championship. They were playing their fifth place playoff against New Zealand, and they've come away victory victorious, forty four to thirty five. Now there was a red card to New Zealand in like the sixth or seventh minute of this game. The New Zealand or New Zealand has also got a second yellow card later in the game. So there was a large chunk where they were playing thirteen men against the Wallabies or the Junior Wallabies, but we do have to say that the Wallabies were successful in, in holding off New Zealand and getting the victory. And out of the three games that the Wallabies have played New Zealand this year, we've won two. So the junior Bledisloe is ours. Woo-hoo! We can at least we'll say it. that. We'll take it. So they're coming up against Wales on Friday night at 9.50 p.m. Um, it's available on stand, so make sure you watch it there. And good to see Teddy Wilson, uh, Waratah's Teddy Wilson, getting the match-winning try in about the 76th or 77th minute of the game. So uh, some there have been some good performances across this championship from the Wallabies uh, in a really tough pool. So um, it, it has been difficult for them, but hopefully they can finish on yep. a win against Wales on Friday night. Yeah, and just to say, like this World Under-20s Championship, whatever it's called, it's not a World Cup. How confusing is this system? I thought the Wallabies, once they didn't make it out of the pool, I thought they were done. And all of a sudden, they're playing New Zealand for fifth place. They win. Now we play Wales for fifth place. Like, what's going on? (laughs) This is so confusing. 
anyway. kind of like it. It's obviously providing more opportunities for the players to get high quality rugby under their belts. Um, and I mean, the Bills getting picked up by World Rugby. So good. That's fine by me. Yeah, very nice. All right, let's finish things off. Let's dive into the locker room. We've got a few questions that have come in. I'll run through the questions, Endo, and you can have your chance to ooh, answer ooh, them. So the go. first one on Instagram comes from TC, and he says, that performance was atrocious. I don't think I've ever watched a Wallabies game with no redeeming features before. On rewatch, it was even worse than remembered. We didn't win a single area. The only positive is that it ended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not a question, it's a statement, but TC, I completely understand why you would feel that way. Um, I'm personally somebody who um, is a glass half full person. Plus, I only watched the first half alive because uh, I was in America and then had to do some other stuff. So I had to come back and watch it second half later knowing the score. So I guess I wasn't so disheartened. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was pretty bad and totally feel you, mate, feel where you're coming from. My highlight, at least, was Carter Gordon. I thought he had a really good impact for the few minutes that he did get. And so the fact that he was able to make something from nothing and, and score that try right on full time uh, was, a, was a positive for me. So yep. that was the yeah. one positive in a pretty disappointing night. Andrew Roth, to me, it seemed like there were no awful, there were no awful performances by individual Wallabies, though some had quiet games. More like almost every single Wallaby was 5 to 10% outplayed by the opposite number. Is that easier or harder to fix if you're Eddie Jones? Yeah, it's probably a bit harder because in some ways it'd be nice to know that there was one particular area that we just sucked at and then that's the one thing that you can focus on this week. And, and we didn't fix. just suck at everything. Um, but when, when you're pretty poor across the park in all areas, that's that's harder, I think, because it's less tangible and it's less something less something that you can just kind of bandage up and then move on from so i very much believe it's a mindset issue um and it, that's one of the most difficult things to be able to fix within a team so i would love to be a fly on the wall with eddie and his coaching staff mm. to see how they're going to be addressing this because i don't have the answers but uh, this is what they're paid to do i would have loved to have heard what eddie said after the game to the players whether he comes in with the the soft darts oh, all right boys or comes in and goes, that was crap. This isn't good enough. It'd be really interesting to see what tact he does take. Uh, moving across to our Facebook questions, Tim Foster asks, was the game on Saturday the worst performance by a Wallabies team in the professional era of the game? Uh, no, I think losing to Samoa in Newcastle was pretty poor. Um, no, I don't think it was. because Collectively, I, though, like, it was pretty bad. Yeah, collectively, it was bad. But at the same time, we came up against an excellent South African team who were on form, uh, played particularly well, and we played particularly poorly. So when you combine those together, yeah. that's why we got smashed. Yeah, look, it wasn't a good performance in any in any way, but I wouldn't say it was the worst ever from the Wallabies. Mm. That's uh, that's getting pretty dangerous when you start hyperbole. But I love around. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim Orr, should Michael Hooper be in the team? Other commentators have noted that his high work rate has made up for his lack of ineffectiveness at the breakdown for a number of years now. Yeah, look, uh, I said before that it, it's a really tough decision to be making. Um, I would probably make the change for this week. I think I've talked myself into, uh, but then aim to bring him back against the All Blacks. Yeah, I think if we are to to go with Fraser McRide and see if tested out, essentially, 
it has to happen this week against the Pumas. Uh, I wouldn't want to be doing it next week against the, uh, the All Blacks, or the week after against the All Blacks. But in saying that, even if it works this week and Fraser McWright has a, an absolute blinder, we have seen from his, the minutes that he got last year when Hooper took that sabbatical away, stepped away from the game. In in Adelaide, he performed really well against the Springboks the week later in Sydney. Again, everyone played badly, but he also didn't play well either. And yep. even though Hooper wasn't brilliant this week, a poor game from Hooper is still a pretty good game consistently, whereas a poor game from someone like Fraser McGrath probably is pretty poor. Um, so I think yeah. we'd still be wanting Michael Hooper coming up, especially that first test in in Melbourne against the All Blacks. Um, will Freeburn sack Eddie and ask Rennie to come back? <laughs> Mate, it, this whole thing just points to... The fact that Eddie Jones wasn't, uh, Dave Rennie wasn't a bad coach and that actually we maybe just aren't as good as we want us to be. Uh, so how, how much does a change of coach actually tangibly affect and change a team? Well, what um, if we, if we stayed with Dave Rennie right now, do you hmm. think we have a different result against the Springboks this week? Yeah, probably, because the players have a better understanding of the um, style that they are expected to play and how to be executing that in situation because they've had the previous few years to be working towards that. Um, I think part of the difficulty with our performance this week is that Eddie Jones, as a new coach coming in, is understandably wanting to put his print upon both the squad and the style of play that he wants for the World Cup. And he only has like six games in which to be doing that. So he doesn't have much time. So he's got to rush that teaching and training process. Um, whereas Dave Rennie had been building for the World Cup already. And so I actually think that the Wallabies would have performed better in this match if Dave Rennie had still been the coach. But I still don't think they would have won. And I still think it's a no. really tough task for the Wallabies' no. first test of the year, even under Dave Rennie, with the same structures, the same setup. I think we still would have gone to South Africa and got dominated by this team. I think the way that they played the Springboks this week, they were just really red hot. And we need to realize they played really, really well. So I, I think, yeah, like you said, I, I do agree with what you're saying, that having Eddie in as well does cause a difference and a, a sort of uncertainty for the players. But I don't think had Reddy been here, we would be getting a much better result. I think we would have yep. been seeing something similar. Yep. Anyway, that brings us to the end of the podcast. So thanks, everyone, for sending those questions in. Thanks, Ando, for joining us this week in your jet lag state. Oh, pleasure, Hope mate. Yeah, enjoys sorry. what he's up to. <laughs> yep, definitely. Everybody, sorry if there were a couple of points where my brain stopped working. Uh, I think it's... I don't even know what time of day it is where my body is right now. So um, thank you, Mitch, for your patience and everybody for being here. It's been great to get back on and um, very keen to be watching some great rugby this weekend as well. Awesome. Well, go the Wallabies this week. This is the second. This week is the second round of the rugby championship. So the Wallabies play Los Pumos on Saturday night. Earlier in the day, we have uh, the All Blacks hosting the Springboks at Mount Smart Stadium. So that will be an interesting one to see which way that goes as well. So a big round of rugby this weekend coming up. Um, yep, I'm heading out to the Wallabies and I might be heading out to the Wallabies. If we're out there Depending together, we'll see you there. <laughs> if not, we'll be yep. both watching and cheering on the Wallabies regardless. 
either way. Very, very excited. So team, have a wonderful week and I can't wait to be on the pod again next weekend. See you team. Bye. Bye.